Well, this morning, I want to uh, continue along the line that I started last week. It's just been something that's been in my heart, and the more that I've uh, just been praying about it and just uh, seeking the Lord about it, and uh, there's just been some things that He's been stirring up in me concerning this. Last week, I shared with you about uh, just the idea of righteousness, and really, there's a particularness, um, and we'll read it here in a second, but it's kind of where the title comes from, which is Awake Unto Righteousness. And I was sharing with you last week just about the power of righteousness, and it's really one of the most core principles principles of New Testament Christian life. And yet many times uh, I believe that the enemy gets a great upper hand on us because we lose sight of this fact. Um, Because we're more aware of what we've done, good or bad, than we are of what Jesus has done. Uh, so many times. And so I want to share some things with you along this line uh, this morning. And so uh, the verse where, the, where the, the, the statement comes from is actually in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 34. I'm going to read this out of the uh, New King James Version. I normally read out of the NLT, but it doesn't say it the same way. So this is the way as I was praying that it came up. But he says in verse 34, he says, now this is the Apostle Paul talking to um, a church. And he says, awake to righteousness... And do not sin. Now, you know, I don't know about you, but, you know, I would, my preference is, is that I would never fall short of God's standard. In other words, that I would never sin. And yet here, Paul makes a statement and says, if you'll awake unto righteousness, I believe, then that will actually keep you from sinning so much. Why? Because all of a sudden you're recognizing where your righteousness comes from, which is not from me, it's not from you, it's not of ourself, the Bible tells us. And so he says, though, he says awake, and that word awake really means to come awake from like a drunken stupor. So kind of come to your senses, if you will. And he says, awake to righteousness. He says, for um, some do not have the knowledge of God. And he says, and I speak this to your shame. And really what he's saying is, you ought to know this. Not just know it. You ought to be living in this. You know, we've talked about this many times. And many times we've, we've gone over these things. He says, and yet some of you are still not really have not. Let me say it this way. That the light bulb has not gone off for you yet. You know what I'm talking about by that? Like a light bulb moment. It's like you're trying to figure something out, figure something out, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh. You know, like when you were in school doing math, and it's just like none of this makes sense, none of this makes sense. And some of you say, it never made sense for me. <laughs> that was me in science. I'm like, some things just don't, just, you know. But then all of a sudden it clicks, and you're like, oh, that's what you're talking about. I get it now. I hope that this morning this is that moment for you concerning your righteousness. Because it's vitally important, not just to your Christian life, but to your experience in this life. Um, Because the enemy is a liar. And and the Bible says he constantly accuses us to ourselves. He also accuses us to God, but he also accuses God to us. And so he's constantly trying to what? Get in the middle of our relationship with God. He's always trying to create separation. You know, and and so, uh, you know... And so we were talking about this last week. If you weren't here, I'd encourage you to jump on the podcast. Go listen to it. And, uh, but let me just give you my definition of righteousness. and Because uh, I realize that that's not a word that we necessarily use uh, very much. But uh, this is how I would define righteousness. Is being, um, being more aware of where you are in Christ. So in other words, the Bible says you've been recreated in Christ. A new creation. Behold, all things have passed away. The, the past is gone. I mean, you, most of us know those verses. But... It says that, but my definition is this, is that we're more aware of where we are in Christ or who we've been created to be in Christ than we are to our mistakes and our failures. I don't know about you, but it's a lot easier for me to kind of get upset with myself. Or let me say it this way, a lot easier for me to get down on myself thinking about all the areas that I miss it than maybe what I've actually 
either even A, done right, or B, what really in light of what God has done for me? You know, and it's easy to, to jump on the negative bandwagon and just be like, man, you really blew that, you know. And, and well, where does that thought come from? Well, that's the enemy at work in our, in our life and in our hearts. And so, you know, but so many times I believe that, you know, um, Paul told the Corinthian church, he made this statement to them, he, really because he was talking, you know, it says that they excelled in all these uh, gifts and all these things of the church. And he says, who's fooled you to believe what you started in the spirit that you can now complete it in the flesh? Well, you know, when we got saved, that was an act of the Holy Spirit. Like nothing that we did said, okay, you know, here's my slip. I've now checked off all the boxes. Okay, now I can become a Christian. It wasn't like that at all. I couldn't create a new heart in me. That's something that was spiritual that God himself had to do. And, you know, and, and so even in that, it's so easy for us to slip back into a law system because we like, we like systems and we like law and we like, we like to know where the boundaries are. And, but God's called us to live a life of freedom, not restriction. And law always brings restriction. It always does. I mean, you go look in the Old Testament, that was the Old Testament. It was what? It was, I mean, we call it the book of the law, right? Well, it was, here's your boundaries. Stay within this and you'll please God. Well, here was the problem. You can't stay within those boundaries. None of us can. We can't. Not in and of ourselves. Why? Because we're just fallen people. We were born fallen. This is my translation. We were all born jacked up. We just were. Because of sin, because of sin's influence, because of just ourself and our own self-interest and all of those things as part of the fall of man. And so God had to, and, and it was always God's desire, to what? To give us a way to come back to be righteous and right standing with God. In other words, God's not mad at me anymore. God is not mad at you anymore. The Bible says if we've received Christ and the forgiveness of our sins, that we are now at peace with God. God's not looking to get even. He got even in Christ. The Bible says that once and for all, we looked at this last week, but once and for all, that Christ settled the debt of sin. And, and so, you know, but we, so many times, if we're not careful, can get sucked into this idea that now that we're saved, that somehow we're going to be righteous in our own strength and in our own power. Like our own goodness is good enough. Well, it was never good enough. But the enemy, if he can't get us to, you know... It, it, if he can't get us just to turn our backs on God, what he's going to get us to try to do is to become so busy being good that we actually stop being godly. I mean, Paul wrote to another church and he said that some have really denied the faith in, in this is that they would profess to be Christians, but they would deny the very power of God that would make them godly. So it's the power of God, it's the work of the Holy Spirit in our life that helps us to actually become godly. Now we have to cooperate. He's not going to do it for you. I mean, he's not going to. But, but when we submit and surrender to him and ask for his help, guess what? We do what we know to do and he will help us. He will strengthen us. He will help mature us. It, you know, uh, and so many times, and I'll just make this statement because I think it's important that we know this. On our, at our absolute best... Absolute best. Our goodness is not good enough for God. Now we all shake our heads and we're like, yeah, I know that. 
Okay, then why does the devil have us on a hamster like a wheel thinking that somehow our goodness is somehow going to put a smile on the face of our father? What's going to put a smile on his face is when we simply recognize what he's provided for us and we walk in that. I mean, why would, why would I need to pay for something that my dad has already paid for for me? Well, I don't need to. Well, I mean, the Bible says that Christ was slain. So, but over in Isaiah 64, verse 6, I'm just going to quote this verse. But he just, the prophet gives us an idea and he just says, hey, I want to give you an example. He said, at your best, your righteousness is like a dirty rag. It really isn't all that great. And really, it's not that it's not that great, but in comparison to God. Think of it this way. Let me use another term. All of our holiness compared to the holiness of God. It's not the same. It's just not. Why? Because he is pure holiness. He's pure righteousness. And yet the Bible says that it's been imputed to us. Like, well, what does that mean? Whenever, that means that he gave us what is his. I don't, when I stand before God, whenever that day comes... I'm not going to go to him and say, look at all this stuff I did for you. That's not what I want to stand on. I want to stand on, I belong to Jesus. And his righteousness was given to me. And that's why I can come stand and and be bold. Because on that day, if I'm pushing stuff up, it's kind of like, oh, shoot. (laughs) I hope this is enough. You know, it's, it, there would be some, some fearfulness maybe, some timidity there. Like, did I, did, I'm not quite sure. Well, the Bible says I can have confidence before the Father. You can have confidence before the Father. Well, how does that come? It comes because of an understanding of who we are in Christ and really where we are in Christ. We're not some stepchild. We're not somebody that he just tolerates. That's not what the Bible teaches over and over and over again. And so let me read you. Uh, a scripture here, I'm going to read this out of uh, Hebrews chapter one, uh, 6, verse 1. I'm going to read this out of the Amplified Bible. And it says, <coughs> excuse me. It says, let us get past the elementary stage in the teachings about Christ. It says, and, or it says advancing on to maturity. How many of you realize that that is God's plan for you? You should all be nodding your head, head yes. God's plan, you're like, I don't know what God's called for me to do. He wants you to grow up. He wants you to mature. I mean, my son just turned three. But there will come a day with, where he acts right now will not be okay. He gets, a, he gets a pass right now on some things. Some things, not everything. But there will come a day where it's, son, you got to grow up. It's time to mature. Well, we're to mature too, even spiritually speaking. And, and that is God's goal for us. And he says, let us advance on to maturity, perfection, which, and perfection and spiritual completeness. He says, doing this, without, or doing this without laying again the foundation, and this is what I want you to see, is repentance from dead works. Now he says this is a foundational doctrine. A foundational doctrine is what? A repentance of dead works. Now we're going to spend some time talking about this specifically this morning. And he goes on and he says, and of faith towards God. Now it's an interesting statement that he says that, that one of the foundational doctrines is very simply is just this repentance of dead works. Well, you're like, well, so we're going to talk about this for a moment because 
whether we realize it or not, any time that we try to present God our righteousness, it's a dead work. And I'll show you why here in a minute. Well, so first of all, what's the first thing he tells us to do concerning this? He says, repent. Well, what does the word repentance mean? It means to turn and go in a different direction, right? In other words, if you're doing something, you repent. That means, I'm sorry that I did that, but I'm gonna keep, that's not repentance. Repentance doesn't mean I keep doing it. Repentance means I'm sorry I recognize that I've missed the mark, and so I'm going to go a different direction. Well, here he says, you need to repent of a dead work. Well, what does that mean? Stop doing dead works. Go in a different direction. And so many times, we, if we're not careful, even as um, people who love God, we can get stuck in this mode of somehow thinking we're paying God back. Even in our past, we've made mistakes. We have things that we're ashamed of. We have things that we, you know, really don't want to let anybody else know about because that's just embarrassing or whatever it may be. And so now we live a life trying to prove to God, which really is trying to prove to ourselves that we're not that same old person anymore. But in somehow it's like we're, we're trying to pay penance back to the Lord. Now, some of you understand that. I mean, some of you, depending on your background, if you have any understanding of, like, Catholicism, you know, you're going to have so many penances. You go and pray, talk to the priest. Hey, you really messed this up. You need, you need to go do this. You've got to pray this many prayers. You've got to you kind of jump through all these hoops, and, and you're going to be forgiven. Well, that's law. That's, that's, that's Old Testament. That's Old Covenant law. And the Bible says that we are to awaken unto righteousness. Awaken it. And so we have to understand that this is how God wants to use and to work in us. So any work or anything that we do trying to uh, perform in order to make us worthy of God. You ever tried to make yourself feel worthy? Like that I'm deserving of what God has done in my life? I mean, I have. I spent a long time there. Like probably the first half of my Christian life trying to prove to God that I was worthy of what he did for me. The problem was that was bondage. I mean, it was just law and I was legalistic and I was really legalistic to anybody else that I deemed not as good as me, which was everybody. I identified with Paul when he said, if there was a Pharisee, I was the best. My competitive spirit came right over into my walk with the Lord. You know, no, no doubt about it. But it's anything, so any work that we do to try to make ourselves feel or seem worthy to God or even to obtain or to maintain our salvation, it is a dead work. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't have good works. And we're going to talk about this. This is really what I want you to catch this morning uh, in this is that it's about really the motivation behind it. Let me give you another example. It's, it's, are you serving God because you're afraid of going to hell? You're like, well, I just come to church because I'm afraid that if I don't, that God's going to send me to hell. See, a lot of people do that. It's just, it's just ritual. I'm just like, man, I just don't know if, if I'm saved and well, I won't know till I get there. Well, the Bible says you can know. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will confirm it in your heart. So, you know, and so, so, but so many times, and I've experienced it, and I see so many people struggle with this idea that somehow they have to fix their past mistakes. Well, first off, you can. It's past. I don't know how you fix something from your past. But what you can do is begin to start moving forward and begin to really identifying with who God has created you to be. You know, throughout Scripture, many times you'll see these words, and I'll give you a couple of them, like sanctification. Like, what does that word mean? 
That's the process by which we're really watch, or help, watching God work in our life. Really, his process. So God work. But there's also another word that goes along with it many times. So it talks about sanctification. But then there's justification. Now, justification is different. Sanctification is a process. It, I mean, we're all still in that. I, no one has, a, has, a, has completed your sanctification role yet. I can just tell you, none of us. We're all still being sanctified. Why? Because we all have parts of our nature that just hadn't, hadn't quite been totally redeemed yet. But justification was finished in Christ. The Bible says that I am justified. Now let me give you an example of this. You know, a natural example. But have you ever been falsely accused of something? Anybody? Amen. And you get kind of frustrated because, you know, you were falsely accused? Well, I'm not going to go that route this morning. Have you ever been accused of something and been guilty? I'm going to tell you a little story. This is to lighten it up a little bit. So when I was a teenager, I was a typical unredeemed teenager. And uh, I remember one day me and one of my friends were in a convenience store. I don't know how old I was. I was probably 14 or 15, something like that. Man, I probably wasn't that old. I was probably 12 or 13, something like that. And uh, so anyhow, so I'm there and it was kind of winter time. So I had it on this big old cowboy's jacket. Praise the Lord. And uh, so, uh, yeah, so anyhow, so I started taking things. And started sticking it in my pocket. And grabbing stuff. And all of a sudden, this gentleman's like, sees me. And he's like, excuse me, sir, talking to the clerk. And says, this young man's stealing stuff. Busted, you know. I was like, oh, shoot, you know. All kinds of things, you know. I start panicking, you know, <laughs> taking the long way around in the convenience store to walk up. For you. See, none, I know none of y'all have these stories. I might as well have just said, I'm guilty because it was obvious. It was obvious. Like there was no question because my guilt was all over the place, right? But and I have no idea because, I mean, everything in my mind is I'm about to get beat. Not by this guy, but when I get home, it's going to be bad. <laughs> you know, but there was this moment, though, where I looked at this clerk and, and he just looks at me. And I'm just kind of like, oh, what's about to happen? Because obviously I'd gotten busted. And obviously I knew I was guilty. He knew I was guilty. And he just says, hey, you need to go home. I don't know what you're doing here, but you need to go home. And he just let me walk out. And I knew I was guilty. I knew that the cops probably should have been called on me. I knew that the conversations that were coming with my parents, I knew what my dad was going to say with some amplified vocal volume. (laughs) And yet he looked at me and said, you need to go home. What did that man do in that moment? He said, I know you're guilty, but I'm going to treat you like you're justified. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. It wasn't about like, let me go mow the lawn. Let me go pick the weeds. Can I pick up some trash? Like, he just said, you need to go home. Let me say it this way. He let me off the hook for no reason. Because what I deserved was obvious. 
but what I deserved, he let me off the hook with. Now, I can tell you this. I never stole anything in my life again. Because in that moment, I was just like, oh, my gosh. But see, all of us can approach God in that same way. We're guilty. We know it. He knows it. It's all over us. And yet he says, I'm going to let you off the hook. All you have to do is to accept Christ and the forgiveness of your sins. That's all that's required. And he'll let you off the hook. That's what justification looks like. The Bible says about Christ, he says that the innocent is going to be treated like the guilty so that the guilty can then be treated like the innocent. See, that, that's what happens in that moment of salvation. Christ lays down his life for us. He, he pays the ultimate price. But now we get to live in freedom. It doesn't mean that we don't make mistakes. Absolutely we do. And it doesn't mean that I need to go looking and just be like, oops, my bad. When I do make mistakes, when you make mistakes, we ought to, we ought to recognize it and move forward. But the enemy would love nothing more than to what? Than to weigh us down with guilt. To weigh us down with shame. To keep us in that place. Why? Because he doesn't want us actually finding out who we are in Christ. He doesn't want us actually finding out uh, what Christ has made available for us to live in. He wants us living in shame. He wants us living in guilt. He wants us living in the past trying to make up for the past. Why? Because if I'm always putting all of my effort into making up for my mistakes, the future never has to get worried about. The devil has a real problem when we find out that our sins have actually been forgiven. Like past, present, and future sins have been forgiven. The Bible says about God, he says that he would remove the knowledge of our sin as far as from the east as from the west, that he would remember them no more. Now again, I'm not just willingly, openly, I mean, that's a different conversation. That's not what I'm talking about this morning. But I believe that your heart is genuine and right towards the Lord. And if that's the case, this is what you need to hear this morning. Why? Because God sees us as, as, as righteous, as justified. Even though we were guilty, he says, it's okay because I have provided another way, which comes through Christ. You know, the church world is, well, let me read you a couple of verses and then I'm going to tell you a little story. But in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, he says, We know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. So we're made right by faith. So faith makes us right with God, not by our, our obeying the Ten Commandments or the law of God. And it says, and we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. So in other words, all of our, all of our doing things right is never going to be enough. In verse 19... The Apostle Paul writes and he says, For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. There was shame, there was guilt, there was regret. It says, so I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I might live for God. Live for God. I'm going to die to this list of rules and regulations so that what? So that I can actually now experience the life of God that he has for me. Verse 20 says, 
My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. So I live this life in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It says, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there would be no need uh, for Christ to have died. There would be no need for that. And so we understand here is that now this new life that we have is not just identified by who I am, but it is identified and should be identified I'm living by who Christ is. Is that now I'm not living my life for me, I'm living my life for Him. So His priorities become my priorities. His, his agenda becomes my agenda, if you want to say it that way. And so Paul is giving us an idea of how to do this. Over in Titus chapter 3, there's another passage that's being written. And he says, uh, once we were foolish and disobedient. He says, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. He says, our lives were full of evil and envy and we hated each other. He says, but when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. We were saved not because of our righteousness, but because of God's Mercy. It says he washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Holy Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Because of his, because of his grace, he has made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Confidence. Most people, if I, if I was to just go out and just start asking random people, do you believe that you're saved? Most people would say, I think so. I hope so. I believe so. Ours ought to be absolutely. My life has been changed. My heart has been changed. There's not a question. I, I'm a much better version of me than I've ever been. And that ain't because of me. It's because of the help of the Holy Spirit. And, and that he's constantly working and helping me to move forward. See, so, so many times we can make just being a Christian about being nice, being pleasant, being a better, improved version of ourselves. But I want to give you this statement that I, that I wrote. But it's that good works for the right, wrong reason will always result in dead works. Good things, good works for the wrong reason will produce a dead work. So let me say this, acting like a Christian, being a Christian with the wrong understanding is a dead work. I don't cuss, spit, and I don't hang out with those people who do. You ever heard that saying? If, if you're doing that to just somehow in your mind to think, well, God's going to, this is, this is going to please God that I don't do these certain things. That's a dead work. It doesn't mean that as believers that we don't have good works. Absolutely we do. Jesus taught and said, you'll know a tree by its fruit, by its good work. But the motivation behind it is different. I'm not trying to convince God to like me. I'm already convinced that he loves me. And so I can now rest in that. But out of that understanding of how much God loves me, now I'm going to go out and live differently so that I can point people to Jesus. So that when people interact with me, they realize, man, there's something different about you. What's different? I've been made righteous. 
And when the devil would come and try to lie and to, to tell me that I'm anything other than what God has said about me, that I choose to believe God's word over the devil's word. I choose to believe God's word and what God believes about me over what even I believe about me. You know, really, most of Christian, most of Christian in the world, I mean, well, all of it, is really split into two camps. And it's actually on this issue. There's Catholicism, and then there's Protestants, which if you don't know, you're in a Protestant church. If you're not a Catholic church, you're a Protestant church. And in 1517, a guy named Martin Luther wrote something that's very well known throughout the world called the 95 Theses. And really what it was, it was 95 arguments against the church. He was a, he was a Catholic priest, and he would argue, if you will, he would debate with them because they thought that what? The Pope was God's voice. And he argued and said, no, God's word is God's voice. He argued many things. There were 95 points. That's where the number, 95 statements, if you will, about that. Well, one of the, the and really one of the ones that he's most famous for, now this was 500 years ago that, that this happened. Because for a long time, and really just as the further you get away from Christ and go through human history, the more they lost sight of the, of the New Testament. And part of it was because of what I was telling you about earlier. That the Bible was written in Latin. Well, it wasn't a known language really. Not many people knew how to, to read it. And so they had to trust that preachers, priests, would tell them the truth of Scripture. Well, they were kind of self-serving and they wanted control. At one point, the Pope was more powerful than any king in the world. With more money, more military power. So, I mean, he was... And Martin Luther challenges the church. And one of the points that he argued was the just shall live by faith. And it's one of the things that he's most well known for, even to this day. They call it the Reformation. I mean, you think about it. I didn't even think about this as I was doing some research. Just somebody had pointed out, and I was like, man, that's interesting. But they talked about how the word Protestant actually comes from the word protest. Never thought about that. Is that he actually protested the belief of the church at the time because they were what? Trying to get everybody to live by a rule, by a bunch of do's and don'ts, as opposed to living by faith in Christ. And here we are, 501 years this year later, and we're still living by this thing that the guy just went and posted it on the door, went and nailed it right to the front door of the church. It's like, I have a complaint. I guess that's one way to get. Well, it changed the church. Because one man got a hold of this understanding of what? Righteousness. And it has changed what we know as church today. And so, you know, we have to understand, though, is that, that there many people, even though they may not call themselves a Catholic, still live in that type of uh, mentality. That what? It's works. I'm going to go confess my sin. I'm going to do these things. I'm going to try to do all, you know, it's just works. It's just works. It's just works as opposed to living by faith. God, I thank you that I'm good even though when I, even when I don't feel like it. Even at my worst, I thank you that I'm not, that that's not who I am. And that's an interesting distinction. Is that you are not what you do. So many times, we, and the enemy uses that. Oh, well, you do this, and, and so this is that. And so that. It may be what you do, 
Let me say, let me just give you an example of this. You may get angry. That doesn't make you an angry person. But the enemy would love to tell you that's just who you are. That's just who you are. You can't change that. That's just who you are. That's right. who you are. That's just who you are. And that's how the enemy comes repeatedly over and over. And he's just reaffirming, reaffirming. Until what? Until we believe the lie that this is just who I am and there's nothing I can do about it. But the word of God comes, what? So that we can now live differently. I may lose my temper, but I'm gaining ground. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a hold of this in my life. But the help of the Holy Spirit, this does not have to stay and be who I am. This is not how I have to be identified. I mean, I've shared this many times. My dad did this in that specific instance. Every man in my family was angry. That's just who we were. We had no emotion, but man, we, apparently anger is not an emotion because we all were. I mean, as a kid, I would punch trees, walls, you name it. I punched a friend of mine through a plate glass window one time. Because I was just angry. It was totally ridiculous, stupid. And my dad began to tell me, David, you can change this. You can change this. We're going to change our family tree. He just began telling me over and over and over. I mean, I remember growing up. I'm glad to tell you, I'm not an angry man today. And for that matter, neither is my dad. Because he changed too. And my heart's desire is that my son... The third generation down will know nothing of that generational line. So he won't. So like, well, it takes some time. Sometimes we're on our third generation. But it's going to be a testimony to God that we changed our family tree. Not because somehow out of self-strength or self-will, but through the help of the Holy Spirit. That we are implementing godliness through our lineage. That's a big deal. But the, but the enemy would love for us to what? Just kind of accept it. Yet the Bible calls us righteous. I mean, if God calls me something, who am I to tell him I'm not? I mean, but yet many times that's what we do in our life. Over in Ephesians chapter 2. My family should be in church, and they're all texting right now. And it's popping up on my iPad, and it's driving me crazy. So I should respond to them. Be like, I'm trying to preach right now. I hope y'all listen to this too. Man, heathen people. Anyhow. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. God has saved you by his grace when you believed. He says, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Last week I talked about the gift of righteousness. We looked at this over in Romans. It says that salvation is not a reward for the good things that you have done. So don't even think about bragging about it. It's not, it's a gift. Verse 10, this one probably won't be on the screen, but it's good, so I'm going to read it anyways. It says, For we are God's masterpiece, and He has created us anew in Christ so that we can do the good things that He's planned for us long ago. You know, the Bible says multiple times throughout the New Testament that statement that Martin Luther has really been, become very well known for, which is that the just shall live by faith. 
I'm not trying to be justified by what I do. I have faith in Christ that he did what he said and that it accomplished what the Bible tells me it accomplished. That's where my confidence is. That's where my faith is in. It's not in what I do or what I don't do. See, we have to be careful. And, and you know, as I was praying this over the last couple of days about this, I just felt stirred in my heart that, uh, about this, is that we shouldn't be living our lives trying to make up for our past. Amen. I believe a lot of people do that. Well, if you knew my story, if you knew what I'd done, man, I got a lot of making up to do. No, you don't. You have a lot of receiving to do, Amen. which is grace and mercy and forgiveness. Because the enemy wants to keep dragging you into your past. Why? Because he wants you focused on that. He wants you identifying with that. As opposed to this new creation that you've been created to be. He wants you focusing on it. But see, God the Father wants us to move beyond our past and into a future that he has for us. Well, we can't do that by continually going back and going back and going back. Like, we have to move forward. I found this quote. I like quotes. I always like quotes. I don't share a ton of them, but I like them. But this is pretty neat. It says, the truth is that though we were justified by faith alone, that faith that justifies is never alone. Like, yes, we're justified by faith alone, but it says that it always produces fruit or good works and a transformed life. I'll read it again. It says, the truth is that though we were justified by faith alone, that faith that justifies is never alone. Now, let me say this in a little bit more of our language, if you will. I am saved by faith. I'm justified by faith. But just as that same faith that justifies me, it's also going to be the same faith that's going to produce the actions that would honor God in my life. So, how do I become who God wants me to be? By faith. How do I walk through and really overcome areas of my life? It's going to be by faith. It's not just by osmosis. It's not by chance. It's not just by, you know, some chance encounter with God necessarily. It's going to be what? By faith. That I see the word of God and I take hold of it and I said, that's mine. I can have peace. I can see God work in my life. I can see God move for me and on my behalf. And ultimately it leads to a transformed life. That would be maturity, by the way. I mean, like I just sent a friend. You know, I was telling you the story about me going into the gas station. I didn't even think about that till this morning. And I thought of the friend who I was with, who I haven't talked to in 25 years, probably. I don't know. It's been a long time. My hope would be is that he, if he met me today, he'd be like, I don't even know you. You're right. You don't. Because I'm a new person. I'm completely different. I mean, that, that would be the, I mean, that would be like my highlight right there. Is that for somebody who knew me way back when, to come to me and be like, man, you don't even look, like even you don't look the same. You're right, because I was lost and I was hopeless and I was hurting. And today I'm not lost and I'm not hopeless and I'm not hurting. Because of what God has done in me. So that is a whole new person. You know, and so this is God's desire for us. Even here, last scripture in um, Matthew chapter 5. We looked at this verse a couple of weeks ago. But it's, it's worth repeating. 
Verse 16 of Matthew chapter 5, it says, In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Other translations would say, So let your light shine before men, that they would glorify God. This is who we're called to be. And, and so I'm not saying that we shouldn't have good works. I'm just saying they need, to, they need to come out of a proper perspective of who we are. I'm not trying to make up for who I was. I'm just trying to let people see who God is. Who Christ is through me. I mean, we're, you know, we're sending Bibles to Iran. We're helping a Gafe house. We're doing these various, you know, initiatives. We're helping with the teachers. Doing those. Well, those are all good works. But if they're just like trying to put a feather in our cap and before we get to heaven, it's, it's a dead work. But if we understand that we are Christ's representative in the earth today, right now, those good works become good fruit. Why? Because they're not about my identity. I already know who I am. Because I know who I am, there's, there's good works that come out of that. And so, yeah, we're generous. Yes, we're a blessing to people. Yes, we want to do But it's going to come out of the right place, the right heart, the right motive behind it. Well, the same is true for us. We've got to understand that no matter our past, no matter how good, how bad, whatever we may deem it to be, God says his grace is enough for us. That that he gives us mercy, he gives us grace for what? So that he can move in our life and that we can actually step into the power of the Holy Spirit. That God didn't leave us alone and just say, hey, y'all figure this thing out. Here's a few verses. No, he's given us the word of his word, the Bible. Why? Because there's power in that word. There's ability in this word that we have. That's why we're sending lives to Iran. Why? Because the word's enough by itself. It'll transform lives. People get a hold of it and they begin to, to really apply the word to their life. It'll, it, it'll change families. It'll, you know, yeah, it'll change a nation. I, I'm more concerned about changing families. Why? Because if you change families, you change a city. If you change a city, you change a nation. It always starts touching a heart. That's how God works. You touch one, they touch their family. and It just begins to knock down effect. Every Bible that that we'll send represents a family that we could transform, be a part of. Just simply because we gave a little bit of money. Took our lunch money and got a Bible for somebody. What an opportunity we have. And so even as, as, you know, even as we're talking about uh, really righteous, I just felt stirred over these last few weeks is that we needed to be mindful of this in our life. Because I realized that there's just an onslaught of the enemy challenging us as to who we are and who we're not. Oh, you can never be who that preacher says you are. Well, I didn't say it. God did. I'm just telling you what God says about you. That's good news for you because if I was just saying it, well, good luck. I'm not the one who said it. God says you are righteous. That I have made you righteous. And because of that, there's power, there's ability that comes along with that. And so I just wanted to encourage you this morning with this. I just felt stirred.